The Bible speaks of God intentionally establishing. We can even really say the Bible speaks of God ordaining a select number, a small number. I'm going to give you three institutions through which society would be structured, through which society is to be managed. Now, of course, we know in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told individual Christians that we are the salt and light of the world, literally meaning for individual Christians, we are to be salt and light to our families and our workplaces, to our communities and beyond. Hi, folks. This is Andy, the analytical preacher. But as far as the three institutions are concerned that God gifted to society, they are, and number one will be pretty obvious, they are the church, duh, right? The government and the laws that the governments enforce, the security that governments provide to their citizens, security from crime, security from foreign countries, war, things like that. For those who are unfamiliar with this concept, again, most folks would say, sure, God gave us the church. That's the only thing he gave us. No, the Bible says God gave us government. God ordains governments. God gave us governments for our own benefit. For those unfamiliar with this concept, you can read the Bible cover to cover. That would be helpful. But actually, there are just seven verses you can go to in Romans, which is a book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, really give you a very adequate biblical explanation to help you understand this concept of God ordaining government for the benefit of people. The church is obviously for the benefit of Christian people. The government is for the benefit of a larger body of people. But then the third institution I mention here is the family. The one man, one woman family was actually the first institution ordained by God. And many theologians, Bible scholars, most preachers today still consider that one man, one woman family first ordained by God to be the most important institution that God established and ordained to structure and manage society. We begin to get this concept in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, After God had created the heavens and the earth and all of the sea and the animals and so forth, we read in Genesis 21, beginning in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We go just one chapter over. In Genesis chapter 2, God is saying, I created everything, the entire universe, the earth, and all the things on the earth, including men and women. Now, let me in chapter 2 give you a little more detail about men and women, how they came to be, why they came to be, and what they're supposed to do. So we go one chapter over, Genesis chapter 2. I'm just going to read one verse, verse 24. It says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's when they then begin to be fruitful and multiply. And as their children grow, then they will leave their father and mother, hold fast, and they shall become one flesh with their spouse. So for Christians, obviously, we're concerned about healthy churches. We want to go to church. We want to financially support our churches. 
And we want our churches to be active in our communities. But as Christians, we also have to say that healthy families are just as important to us. And so we should, through our own families, through our churches, by being involved in our schools, through the political votes that we cast, we should always be aware, always be cognizant, always be intentionally trying to strengthen the families in our communities. Again, Scripture is going to tell us you need to support the church and keep it strong. I believe, based on Scripture again, that strengthening families is just as important to God as strengthening the church. Because the family is an institution equal in managing and structuring society, and it was actually the first foundational institution that God ordained. And so not only do we try to keep our own families healthy, not only should we work within our churches to have churches strengthen other families within the church, but we want churches to strengthen families in our communities. We want to work with our schools to help strengthen the families of the children that go there. And we want to use the political process, who we vote for and why, based on whether that politician is interested in, effective in, strengthening our families. In fact, we should be challenging politicians. We should be listening to their debates when they speak about where are American families strong? Where are American families weak today? What can we do? Are there any current policies that are harming families that we need to address and take off the books? Are there any public policies, political laws that we could put on the books that would help to strengthen families? And again, I think we Christians have to think beyond this. Will this immediately help my financial and economic life? Yes or no. And and for the most part, if you look at surveys, politicians will tell us Americans tend to vote for what helps their pocketbook in the near future. And Christians should always be saying, I have to vote on obviously what's going to keep America safe from attack, but I need to also be voting for politicians and for policies that have a real interest in strengthening American families and really understanding where families are weak, why, and being courageous enough to make those changes. Because here's the truth. When we think about our children, we talk about our most precious resource, the leaders of tomorrow, the future of our country and the world, the future of the church or the children of today. We don't say that the church is primarily responsible for raising children. We don't say that the schools are primarily responsible for raising children or that the government is primarily responsible for raising children. The primary responsibility for raising children is borne by the parents. That is godly. That is biblical. And in almost every society, that is the way that you see it structured. And in church, We tell parents all the time, we are happy to walk alongside you to help strengthen your marriage, to give you better parenting skills so that you can address your children's needs and help them grow into strong, successful, accomplished human beings. But we cannot raise your children for you. We cannot give them their faith. We constantly remind parents we will support them to whatever degree that we can, but that they have the primary responsibility for their children. And we have seen in history a couple of different times in a number of different places where the primary responsibility for raising children has been taken away from the biological parents of the children. 
And those things always end in bitter failure and heartbreak in Canada, for example. And this started in the 1800s and ran well into the late 1900s. Indigenous children in Canada were taken away from their parents and placed in what the Canadian government called Indian residential schools. And the thought was simply this. These indigenous parents are culturally and educationally, economically backwards compared to the Europeans who were running Canada. And so the children would be better off if we took them away from the parents and raise them. Unfortunately, of course, a quick survey of the Bible would tell us scripturally that is simply not allowed. That is a straight up affront to God and it is sinful. Unfortunately, in Canada, they actually had churches who don't strictly follow what's written in the Bible, like the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, who were actually involved in these residential schools, who actually helped them pull parents children away from their parents and then try to re-educate them from either the government's point of view or from the Anglican church point of view, etc. Again, if they had been devoted to the scriptures as they should have been, they would have never participated in such a shameful activity. But the point is, they did. And even though you say, oh, it was generous, educated, enlightened, progressive government people and it was religious people, even though those were the ones trying to take responsibility for these kids, the end was an absolute disaster. And there are still today in Canada mass unmarked graves of hundreds of these poor indigenous children who were taken from their families. And how much better off if they if their families had been able to raise them. We saw Karl Marx beginning in his communist manifesto. Marx began to call for, and I quote, the abolition of the family, end quote. Marx said, we have to destroy the traditional, biblical, nuclear, one man, one woman family raising their own children. Now, Marxism in our day has been totally discredited. The major Marxist countries have all failed. The few that still follow the Marxist tenets like Cuba and North Korea are the saddest and most repressed places on earth to live today. And yet somehow this idea in modern American society doesn't die. A law professor not long ago wrote this column in this respected journal where they recommended that parents be banned from doing things like even educating their children at home. That is absolutely a parent's choice, whether they educate their child at home, send their child to a private school, send their child to a private religious school, or send their child to a public school. That is a parent's choice. Marxist governments in the past have taken children from their homes to try to re-educate them and make them better for society at large. And again, there's been tragic ends, tragic and painful ends to every one of those episodes. 
The purpose of this podcast is simply to say this. In America today, we still see not just this Harvard law professor worried about conservative parents raising their own children the way that they see fit, but we see politicians who increasingly are becoming more vocal about usurping this natural biblical role of parents. Christians need to be aware these things are happening. Christians need to be prepared with our votes to stand against those things. We see school districts. We see teachers, unions that are beginning to come up against the family, that are beginning to come up against parents. The government even sending letters out about We have to be careful that parents that want to control their own children don't become terroristic threats. It's amazing that this would happen, but it is happening. And and quite frankly, it's very frightening. There's a well-known social justice organization, and, and they've proven very popular. They've proven great at fundraising. They've been around for a number of years. And they started, and their main focus was working to stop police abuse against minorities working to stop white police abuse against blacks primarily. And when they've been challenged, what about other ways in which blacks face violence beyond just police? They generally push that off and say, our real focus, our primary focus is stopping police violence against minority communities. Clearly, Christians have no problem with that. Christians believe that bad police officers have to be held account actually faster and more sternly than bad criminals do because the police officers have been given the legal power of the state behind them. And so if anything, Christians would say, we want to take criminal police officers and deal with them faster and more aggressively than we deal with non-police officer criminals. And so having an organization that says our primary focus is to stop police abuse against minorities No Christian would have a problem with that at all. The idea that they want to stay very singularly focused on that and not go into other things that cause the black community to suffer or minority communities to face violence, maybe within itself, etc. The fact that they didn't want to focus on those areas, again, Christians wouldn't necessarily have a problem with. But this social organization on their website states then one of the things they want to see happen in society is this, quote-unquote, redefining of the nuclear family structure. In other words, they want to usher in something beyond, something besides the traditional biblical family. That's far outside the scope of we're primarily focused on stopping police abuse against minorities. Why is that something that's so important that it's on their website? And again, it's simply unacceptable. Christians have to say, I will support groups that are working to make sure that justice is equal, not just police enforcement, but also the justice of the courts is equal for rich and for poor for majority and minority, for citizens and immigrants, etc. Christians can get behind that fully. What Christians have to be very, very careful of is supporting an organization morally, financially, that also says, and part of what we want to do long term is change the family, diminish the value, diminish the power, diminish the standing, redefine the standing of the traditional family. We simply cannot stand for that. 
we see in America, maybe our greatest divide today in politics, it's not so much a Republican versus Democrat or who should be taxed at what level. The real contentious debate that divides American politics seems to me in the politicians that I speak to in my local community is one of equity versus equality. And some politicians are on the side of we need equity, which is enacting public policies, working on laws and regulations and processes, which will produce more equal outcomes and what they say is a very unequal society versus those on the other side of the ideological spectrum who are saying we need to focus more on equality, which is really just ensuring that everyone at least has equal inputs and equal opportunities if their outcomes are different. And they're to blame for the difference in the outcome, or they get credit for the good difference in their own outcomes. That's not a political issue. That's a personal issue. So again, politicians are saying, is it equal resources and opportunities we need to be providing? Or should we be structuring the laws and the public policies of society to produce more equal outcomes? But that debate is really a false dichotomy. That debate The answer to that debate cannot be obtained in the democratic voting of America today because we do not have strong enough families in this country anymore. And here's the honest truth. And politicians know that they are chasing their tails on this and they're using the equity versus equality debate in a very, very disingenuous way to try to gather Voters. They know some voters want to hear about equity and equal outcomes. And so that's what they talk about. And others know that their voters want to hear about all we need to do is have equal opportunity and let the outcomes fall where they may. And then those voters will vote for them. And politicians very disingenuously are putting that dichotomy up and it is false and it is misleading. And here is why you are not going to have equality. You are not going to have everyone has the same resource and the same opportunity if everyone does not have a strong family, period. And I mean, you will never have equity in our society. You will never say we have structured our society to produce equal outcome among our citizens, you will never obtain that politically until you have healthier families in this country. So I'm getting a little tired of politicians playing to their bases and talking about equity and talking about equality and trashing the other side of the divide when both of them know they're disingenuously talking past each other on purpose just to get votes instead of rolling up their sleeves and doing the hard work of strengthening the families in America. None of the things that I hear politicians talk about We have to improve education. We have to win the war against China. We have to work with our youth because anxiety and depression is at the highest levels it's ever been for our young people. We're too divided, some politicians say. I want to run as the unifying candidate. Other politicians say, no, we have to reduce crime. The other side says, no, we have to eliminate poverty. And on and on these things go. And you're not going to do any of those things. Better education, reducing depression, beating 
our enemies, our foreign enemies, reducing crime or eliminating poverty until we begin by addressing and strengthening families. So I simply say this, for those who hold a biblical worldview, we need to be reminded that strong one man, one woman families are the foundation the Bible prescribes for society. And as Christians, we have to say, holding a biblical worldview, we put families at very high at the top and we will support and defend families even over supporting and defending our churches because our faith really is built and children should become Christians through their parents more so than their church anyway. We have to say as Christians, we will support the family and we will begin to vote for politicians who are for the family. And we will be prepared to stand up against those who are coming out against the traditional family. We will be prepared to vote against and to defund organizations that are trying to usurp the power of mom and dad in our society. And so I would encourage Christians Remember how important the family is. Look at the strength. And in some cases, the lack of strength. Look at, in some cases, the chaos of the modern family and pray for that and then vote for that and then begin to make your political choices and work within your churches and work within your communities and work with and through your schools to improve our families. And then we can have a debate about Should it be equity? Should it be equality? How are we going to reduce crime? How are we going to eliminate poverty, etc.? Pray for, work for the strengthening of the American family. If you are a Christian, that is something that God is counting on you to do. It is critical to him and it is critical to your worldview as a believer in Christ. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.